Today we begin a new series called Flipped because uh, when Jesus comes into our lives, when he calls us to follow him, he turns everything upside down. He started this new counterculture revolution 2,000 years ago where everything is different. Things will be different. He taught us differently. He taught us uh, to be different. It's going to be a verse-by-verse uh, study of the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and seven. Now the Sermon on the Mount is uh, by Jesus is the greatest sermon ever preached. And we've got a almost a 200-page study journal that goes with the sermon series that was produced uh, in-house here within our uh, Purpose Church uh, leadership and staff by Chanel de los Reyes and Joanne Tahatra. And we just are so appreciative to, appreciative of these two young ladies from our Creative Communications Department. And you get a copy of this by going to our website. Uh, it costs $10 for shipping um, and, and mailing uh, to you, but we don't want costs to stop you uh, from getting a copy. We want everybody have a copy of this for your own personal devotions uh, throughout the summer, uh, day by day, and also uh, for your life group to study it as well. Now, by the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear Rashad Cunningham uh, last Sunday, be sure to go online and, and to watch this message from last Sunday. I, it was so powerful. I, I, everybody, I heard a thousand percent, everybody said what a blessing and how powerful it was. There were people telling me that it may be the greatest sermon they've ever heard in their life. That's the kind of comments I heard after Pastor Rashad was with us last Sunday. And so please, if you didn't get a chance uh, to be here or to see it online, go online and catch that sermon. You'll be so glad that you did. Now, the title of today's message is Get Use to different. Get use. The Sermon on the Mount is basically telling us to get, Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, get use to different. Uh, let's watch this together. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes.
I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I love that line so much. Get Jesus says, get used to difference. If you want to follow me, get used to different. Now I got to do a commercial here. Uh, this is my new, Kimberly and my, our new favorite TV series. It's called The Chosen, and I would highly recommend it to you. It is my favorite portrayal of the life of Jesus and, and, the, and the story of Jesus and the disciples. It's the largest crowdfunded TV production in history, and their goal is for one billion people to see it around the world. Would highly recommend it to you. You can watch it on a, on a free app, or you can see it here at church over the next five years, two minutes at a time. <laughs> it's your choice. Okay, let's dig in. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Michael Green calls the Sermon on the Mount the supreme jewel in the crown of Jesus' teaching. Nikki Gumbel uh, says that it's the manifesto of the king and the Magna Carta of the kingdom. Uh, now he sat down, Jesus sat down, because that was the way teachers uh, in school or in the synagogue uh, taught in that day. Now he may have spoken from a mountainside because it was simply the best place to speak. But he may have had in mind, uh, it was on a mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, that Moses received God's commandments in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is not laying down a new law to replace the old law. He's teaching his followers to live out the new Jesus lifestyle, a different lifestyle, a flipped lifestyle which is impossible without God's Holy Spirit and Jesus living within us. The whole, the whole start to that is receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And at the end of this message, if you've never taken that step to follow him like you just saw Matthew, Jesus simply looks at him and says, follow me. And Matthew left everything, wealth, influence, everything, a, an old lifestyle and, and followed him. And Jesus said to Peter, get used to different, and he says the same thing uh, to us as well. Uh, so he's not laying down a new law to replace the old law. He's teaching his followers how to live out the Jesus lifestyle, which is impossible without Jesus. Uh, that's why uh, preachers from the past, um, like the uh, reformers of the, preachers of the Reformation, the 16th century, uh, men like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, they have this saying, the law sends us, back, sends us to Christ to be justified, and Christ sends us back to the law to be sanctified. Let's leave that up there for just, uh, for just a moment. Uh, what, what they mean by that is when I encounter the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, and I start going through the Ten Commandments, I realize I am a sinner. I am in need of being saved. I need a Savior. I need to be justified, which means where God forgives us and it's just, justified means it's just as if you've never sinned. And so when I read the Ten Commandments, I'm like, I'm a sinner. And so I, I, the law uh, makes me run to Christ to be saved, to be justified. Um, the same thing is true with the, uh, the Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at uh, through this summer is that Jesus takes the law and he expands it. 
he makes it even harder uh, to achieve. Uh, for example, I might go through the Ten Commandments and it says, thou shalt not murder. And I'll say, okay, I, I can do that one. I think I can get through my life without, without murdering anybody. I can keep that. But then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to see in a few weeks, he says, no, no, it's not enough just not to murder. You can't be angry enough that you could kill somebody. Now I'm like, oh my goodness, I, 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 I can't live up to that. Or Jesus, as you go through the Ten Commandments, he'll say, don't commit adultery. And I'm like, okay, I haven't committed adultery. I, I can keep that one. I believe I can keep that one till the end of my life. But then you come to the Sermon on the Mount and he says, well, no, no, it's not just adultery. Have you ever lusted in your heart? Have you ever committed adultery in your heart? And now you're like, oh man, well, no, I can't live up to that. And so whether it's the Old Testament law or the Sermon on the Mount, it makes us run to Christ to be saved, to be forgiven, to be justified. But then Christ sends us back to the law to be sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy, to be more and more like Jesus all the time. And so he sends us back to the Old Testament to learn by, by going through uh, the, the Old Testament Ten Commandments. How can I live a more godly life? And he makes me run back to the Sermon on the Mount to be sanctified as well, to become more and more like Jesus, to get my life flipped, to live that different life that Jesus has called on me to, and you uh, to live. And so we're going to look at eight ways today that the message of Jesus flips everything upside down. Now, in the Old Testament, with the Ten Commandments, they were divided into two sections. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship vertically between us and God. But the next six have to do with our relationships uh, horizontally with each other. And the Beatitudes are very similar to that. They're, they're not divided four and six like the Ten Commandments, but they're divided up four and four. Uh, the first four of the Beatitudes have to do with our vertical relationship with God. And the next four, the second set of four, have to do with our horizontal relationships with each other. Now, the word that Jesus keeps using in what are called the Beatitudes, or meaning, Beatitude just means the blessings, uh, comes from the Greek word makarios, which means blessed by God or receiving God's favor. So let's look at these eight things. Number one, true happiness comes from being brought low. You see how things are flipped? We think uh, true happiness comes from being elevated. Jesus is going to flip it. He's going to say, get used to different by saying true happiness comes from being uh, brought low. Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we get so used to that phrase, poor in spirit. You know, we, we've seen it maybe in the Bible before. And so we get kind of dull to it. But to his audience 2,000 years ago, th this phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, that would have shocked his, his audience. It, they would have been like, what are you talking about? It's blessed to be in any way poor. There are two Greek words for poor. Uh, one means lacking wealth. And so therefore what you need is a job. Okay, you, you need to work. But then there's a, a second more intense Greek word that means not just lacking wealth, but 
desperately impoverished, desperately impoverished, poor in spirit. This is the Greek word that's used here, uh, translated as poor, desperately impoverished, therefore dependent on others for support. You can't work your way out of it. Like the other Greek word, you can't just, okay, I don't have enough money. Let's do a little extra work, put in some overtime and I'll meet my need. No, no, this is, you are so desperate. You can't do anything to fix your situation. It's gotta be somebody from the outside that is gonna come and help you. And I tell you, the more I read the Sermon on the Mount, the more I'm aware of how a desperately uh, poor I am in the sight of God. I'm so aware of my weaknesses. I'm so aware of my sinfulness. I'm like the tax collector in Luke 18, verse 13. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as I, as I read through the Sermon on the Mount, as we do that this summer, we're gonna, we're gonna realize how desperately we need God. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, however, flings open its doors to beggars. Let's go back uh, to verse uh, three one more time. Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those that come to God desperately recognizing their need, the, the doors of the kingdom fling open and God says, uh, come on in. Uh, David said in Matthew, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at, at your right hand. Um, now in Matthew 18, verse three, uh, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, uh, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, little children are are naturally poor in spirit. Um, kids are the most open to Jesus because they are naturally poor in spirit. And so I wanna do a commercial right here. If you wanna make an impact for eternity, best way to do it is to, is to reach kids for Christ because they are naturally poor in spirit and so they more naturally can enter into the kingdom of God. And if you wanna make a, an eternal impact, the best way to do that is to volunteer to serve at our summer kids camp, June 21 through 23. It's only three days this year, just three days, all right? Like nine to 11.30, three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That, it's shortened this year uh, because of COVID. We've got, we're gonna do our kids camp, but it's gonna be a shorter version. This is a great year to give it a try, to volunteer. You're only committing to three mornings or one or two mornings, whatever you can give. Just email us at kids at purposechurch.com. Uh, and, and we would, I, you will be so glad that you did. Now you'll receive a blessing. And when you get to heaven for eternity because of the impact that you made. Okay, a second way that Jesus flips everything. True happiness comes from grieving. Wait a minute. I thought true happiness came from laughing. Uh, having fun, true happiness, Jesus says, comes from grieving. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, there are two mistaken views uh, about the Christian life. One is that Christians should never be happy, 
And another is that Jesus, Christians should never be unhappy. First of all, Christians should never be happy. You know, there's this myth that if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's just heavy and the burdens of the world ought to be on you uh, all the time. It's so hard. No, that's not true at all. Nobody should have more fun than followers of Christ. But then the second myth is that Christians should never be unhappy. And that's absolutely untrue. I mean, Jesus wept when his good friend Lazarus, his best friend, when his friend died. Jesus wept. Paul, the Bible says, wept over the enemies of the cross because they were going to hell. And so he wept over those that were not following Jesus. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they had rejected him. Peter wept after he failed Jesus and denied him after his, his death. Um, there, there is grieving that can have a great benefit to it in following after Jesus. I love this quote by Anne Rofi. She says, grief is in two parts. The first is loss and the second is the remaking of life. Uh, the first is loss, but then the second part is now you begin to rebuild your life after that loss. And you know, that's what's happening to all of us now in, in the aftermath, as, as we move beyond COVID, we've had loss, but now we're rebuilding. We're remaking our lives after that loss. Uh, here at our church, it's, it's been a, a loss, a difficult year that we've just come through. And now we are remaking our lives. We are rebuilding uh, our church. We're getting back together again. We're getting back into life groups again. We're beginning to serve more boldly again, beginning to share our faith uh, around the community and serving and, and reaching people for Jesus more than ever before because we're coming back from that time of loss and that time uh, of, of grief. Now, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And, then, and the root for this Greek word that is translated here, comforted, uh, the word comforted has the same uh, root word as comforter. And that's the word that Jesus uses uh, for the Holy Spirit in John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you uh, forever. And then number three, true happiness comes from being broken. Wait a minute. I want to avoid pain in my life. I want to avoid brokenness at all costs. And yet Jesus comes and flips everything upside down, says get used to different, because true happiness comes from being broken. Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. What does meek mean? It means gentle, considerate, and unassuming. It's the idea of strength and power under God's control. It's not weakness. Uh, meek is not weak. It's the idea of strength and power, but it's under God's control. Uh, Moses was called in the Bible, the meekest man who ever lived, the meekest man on the face of the earth. And yet, Moses, many historians consider Moses possibly the greatest leader who ever lived. The meekest man was the greatest leader because he had strength and power under God's control. Um, I've never bet a dollar in my life on a horse race, never betted anything on, on horse racing. 
but I just love to watch horses race. I uh, Really just three times of, of the year. I used to love to do it at the Fairplex. They used to have horse racing at, at the at the Fairplex um, uh, during the, the county fair. And, and one of my favorite parts of the county fair is I'd always have Kimberly and the kids and come with me and let's watch the horses run for a bit. And But I always watch it on TV during the Triple Crown, Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Because there is this tremendous strength and power. I, I love the, you, you, when, you're, when you see horses run, there's this surge of power and thundering power. And there's tremendous strength and power because it comes from a broken horse. It doesn't come from a wild horse. It comes from a broken horse under submission. There is nothing weak about it. And there's tremendous strength and power from brokenness. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. They're the ones that will be people of influence. They're the ones that will change things in in the world. Uh, I'm going to make a terrible confession to you right now. And you know what? All the men, they're about my age and probably half the women as well are just going to lose respect for me right now. I'm just, but I'm just going to be real with you, just keeping it real. Um, my favorite band or singers in the 1970s as I was in high school was the Carpenters. I know. You, you, you knew I was a nerd. You knew I was a geek. Um, you knew I was pathetic in so many ways. I, I just love the music of the, the Carpenters. Um, now, just think about the 70s. It, it could have, my favorite group could have been Led Zeppelin. Could have been Led Zeppelin, but instead it's the Carpenters. How sad is that? But it's the funniest thing. Right when I was writing this sermon in my office uh, the other night, um, I was listening to a a Carpenters music as I was writing um, my sermon. And, And right about this point, right in my notes, there was a line from a Carpenters song that goes like this. The best love songs are written with a broken heart. The best love songs are written with a broken heart. And it is when we are broken that we are powerful for the kingdom of God. It is when we, we are broken that, that we make a difference in people's lives. I, I remember a number of years ago, there was an area of brokenness in my life and I was complaining to God and said, God, I could be so much more effective for you if I didn't have this area of brokenness in my life. I, I, could, be, I could do so much more. And I, I really felt the, the Holy Spirit whispering to me. and says, Glenn, um, when did you feel that I really began to use you? It was almost like supersized way, you know, just, just e- even more. When did you feel like your, your impact for Christ got accelerated? And I said, well, about this time. And I marked a time in my life. And, and God whispered to me, well, when did that brokenness come into your life? And I said, well, about that time. It was exactly the same time. You see, brokenness um, uh, ma- makes your impact even greater. It puts it on steroids. From brokenness, there comes a great power and great influence uh, for Christ. You can minister to other broken people with the brokenness that you yourself have. Uh, number four, fourth way that Jesus flips things upside down is true happiness comes from being deeply dissatisfied. You're like, wait a minute, what, what are you talking about? Deeply dissatisfied? No, it's when I'm satisfied. That's when I'm happy. It comes from being deeply dissatisfied. Jesus says in verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're hungry 
for, and they thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said that we will be blessed when we are deeply dissatisfied with the stuff of this life. It's when we get that job promotion and we think, man, if I could just get that, that job, if I could just get promoted to that job, then I'd, I'd have lasting satisfaction. Oh yeah, it's fun for a while. It's satisfying for a while. But after a while, it wears off. Or, or we th- say, if I just could get that raise, I would have all the money I could ever imagine. Uh, I, I wouldn't have any needs after that. And then after a while, that extra money doesn't really satisfy. Same thing can happen with graduating, and, which is, of course, a wonderful thing and a great accomplishment. But sometimes we think, if I, could, if I could just get to this next level in life, if I could just have that relationship, if I could just do that shopping trip, if I could just get the newest phone or the newest gaming system, then I'll be satisfied. And we are for a while, but then it wears off. And so as we realize the stuff of this life just doesn't have lasting satisfaction connected with it, in its place, we begin to hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God. We say, I, I, I want a right relationship with God. These things are not satisfying. I want that. Augustine said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And so Jesus says when when we're hunger, when we're dissatisfied like that, so that we seek God with everything within us, that's when we find the, the, the true satisfaction and joy in life. It's flipped, it's different, but it's it's it works, it's reality, it's the truth. Now we're gonna pivot to the second set of four Beatitudes, which have to do with a right relationship with each other. Those four, right relationship with God, now a right relationship with each other. Martin Luther King Jr., I love this quote. He says, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. When we lift our eyes from our own needs to the needs of others, and that's what Jesus is, is gonna, gonna say here. Um, number five, don't give people what they deserve, but show mercy. You're like, wait a minute. The, the natural thing, what's, what's ordinary, what's not different, but what's right side up, not flipped, what's ordinary and not different, is that we want to pay back people for what they deserve. But he says, don't give people what they deserve, but show mercy. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, uh, first of all, it has two meanings to this. We are to be merciful to those who have wronged us. Uh, Now, it doesn't mean that we earn God's mercy by being merciful. Okay, it's not like we earn his forgiveness by being forgiving to others. But what it does mean here is, it's that when, when we forgive, when we forgive other people, when we're merciful to others, it's evidence that we have been changed, that we're different, that we have been forgiven by God. Now, Jesus said that about the sinful woman who had anointed his feet in Luke 7, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, or I I think Jesus meant here, whoever thinks they've been forgiven. No, I'm such a great guy. Didn't have to forgive much for me. He loved, he or she loves little. But this one woman truly understands, like we all should, 
It's not that she was more sinful. It's that she just was honest about it. She, was, she recognized it. Uh, her, her many sins have been forgiven. And as a result, her love was great. It was a sign that she had experienced God's mercy. So now she in turn shares that mercy with others. And then a second application of this is we're to be merciful to those who are in need. I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, this is the guy that was executed for, he was a pastor who had a murder attempt, an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. What a cool pastor he was. That on the side of being a pastor, he took part in this plot to assassinate Hitler. It got discovered and uh, he was executed right before uh, the war. And just at the very end, he gets executed. But here's what he wrote. The merciful have an irresistible love for the downtrodden, the sick, the wronged, the outcast, and those who are tortured with anxiety. No distress is too great, no sin too appalling for their pity. And then number six, um, don't put on a mask, but be transparent. Now, Jesus here, this is not talking about COVID regulations, okay? He's not talking about that. Uh, it's talking about putting on a facade, pretending to be one thing when something else is going on within our lives. Don't put on a mask, but be transparent. Jesus says in verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The J.B. Phillips uh, translation, he translated it this way, be utterly sincere, that's why one of our favorite sayings here at Purpose Church is that we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We don't want to be a museum for saints where everybody just pretends they have no troubles and they've got it all together all the time. No, no, no. We want our church to be a hospital for sinners. And this is under the care of the great physician. We assist him by ministering to each other. But we can only do that when we're sincere, when we're transparent with each other. One of the best places to be open and transparent is in our life groups. And as we come back from COVID, I, I just hope we get back to worshiping in person, um, all of us, as soon as possible, as soon as we feel comfortable with that. Let's get back into the habit of every week being together um, in worship and fellowship under the study of God's word. But I also hope that we'll get back into the habit of being part of a life group. Get back into that habit of being part of a life group because that and that environment, hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that's how we really grow. And then number seven, don't stir up conflict, but make peace. We naturally left to our own devices. That's what's ordinary. That's what's right side up. That's what's ordinary is just kind of stirring up conflict. We just naturally like to do that. But instead, we're to flip it upside down. We're to get used to different and make peace. Uh, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Boy, especially during this last 14 months. Oh boy, there's been so much division and so much stress between people. And Jesus, Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me, blessed um, are, are the peacemakers. If you are trying to make peace rather than accelerate tensions, you will be called a daughter or a son, children of God. There's three parts to this peacemaking. First of all is inner peace. Then there's peace between people. And then there's helping other people have peace with God themselves. We have our peace with God. Then we, uh, we uh, try to work for peace with other people. And then we help other people 
to have peace with God. First of all, inner peace. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then peace between people. Ephesians 2 verse 14, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made the two groups one. And just think of all the different ways that we've been divided into two groups over the last 14 months. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You've seen me do this illustration many times before, but I just want to remind you of it. We all walk around with two buckets uh, every day at work, at church, in our families, in our neighborhood, we all walk around with two buckets. And one bucket has water in it, and one bucket has gasoline in it. And when we encounter a, a fire, maybe it's in our personal lives, maybe at work, um, maybe some other place in our, in our families, uh, maybe it's on social media. You ever find fires going on social media? And we have a choice at that moment. Am I going to pour gasoline and make that fire worse or am I going to pour water on it and make that peace in that tense situation? And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that walk around with two pails of water, no gasoline, just looking for fires to put out and looking to make peace uh, where, where, there, where there may be uh, tension. And then uh, peace with God, helping others to have peace with God. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this is basically our mission statement here at Purpose Church. Our mission is helping people find their purpose to connect with God, to find peace, connect with others so we can have peace with each other, and connect others with God so other people can have peace with God. Nelson Mandela writes, it takes a long time uh, to make peace and a short time to make tension. Many, many people make tension. Few people make peace. Wherever you find tension, you must make peace. You know, Rwanda is a small republic in, in Africa, um, very tiny there within the continent of Africa. But it's got a turbulent and a bloody past. Out of a population of 6 million people, uh, 90% are Hutu, and yet the Tutsi are the ruling majority. In April of 1994, there were three months of genocide on the part of the Hutu militia, uh, followed by the revenge of the Tutsi Liberation Army. The war in this little little country, six million people. The war left a million people dead, two million people implicated, that is, they participated in those deaths, 250,000 widows, 450,000 orphans, and one and a half million exiles. And one man by the name of Jean-Claude, and uh, by the way, he, is, uh, he's a he was a compassion child as a child. Uh, many of you, as Kimberly and I do, support pa compassion children. Uh, our uh, pastor of media, Peter Wilson, he has a compassion child. He and Melissa, his wife, and Lily, their daughter, they sponsor a compassion child in uh, Rwanda. Well, this man, young man was, was a, a encountered Jesus as a compassion child. And on one day in this genocide, he lost 14 members of his family. 
But after the war, he felt called by God to go into prisons and to preach the gospel of Christ. And one day he preached to a man called Kamenuzi, who had been part of the group that had killed his family with machetes. Uh, Kamunzini responded to his preaching, repented of his sin and gave his life to Christ. He admitted to Jean-Claude what he had done and he asked him for forgiveness. Jean-Claude told him that he forgave him and said that he hoped Kamunzini would be with him one day uh, in heaven. Since 1999, Jean-Claude and Kamunzini have traveled the country as peacemakers. They travel to churches and remote areas and they tell the story of how their relationship was transformed by Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. And then number eight, don't expect anything in return except for criticism. Don't expect anything in return. It's like, hey, I want praise for what I do in my life. Hey, hey, I, I, I want people to notice uh, me. I, I, I don't want them to criticize me. And Jesus said, hey, you, if you live a flipped upside down life, if you, if, you, if you get used to different, and if you follow me as a different person, you're often not gonna get anything in return except for criticism. Uh, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what you get? When you, when you follow Jesus, when you live this different life, when you live this flip life, you get heaven for eternity. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know what you get? Uh, by following Jesus, you get to identify with him. And anytime you are misunderstood, or people say false things about you because of Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is. And then the third benefit, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you get reward in heaven, your joy comes from identifying with Jesus and it is a sign when, when, when people say false things about you uh, because of Jesus, it's a sign that your faith is genuine because that's the same way they treated the prophets uh, that were before you. Okay, so let's, let's review. Uh, getting used to different, getting used to different, as Jesus said, uh, means these eight things. Um, number one, being spiritually desperate for God. Number two, weeping over our condition. Number three, allowing ourselves to be broken. Number four, being hungry for God. Number five, receiving forgiveness and being merciful. Number six, being completely sincere. Number seven, striving to bring peace. And number eight, expecting nothing in return except persecution. That is the flipped lifestyle. That is the get used to different lifestyle. That is the Jesus lifestyle. But it is in the end, the blessed lifestyle. There is such blessing in following him, not only in this life, but for eternity.